0: Brother, Brother Bob here again. This is part two of my topic on truth. The truth of truth will set you free. Truth is a wonderful thing. However, the problem as I see it is most everyone thinks that their view of truth is right. Let me interject. Sadly, many if not most of you are not going to accept some of the new truths that I share with you. And sadder yet, I believe the main reason that most of you are not going to accept the new truths that I share with you is because you're not listening with your brain, but with your heart. As I've already shared in a previous podcast, it is nearly impossible for a person to accept a new truth if it is their emotions that are controlling their thinking. So with that said, here is my first truth topic, the topic of salvation. Just the topic of salvation alone can be bewildering in the church. Some teach that believers need a water baptism plus Christ to be saved. Some assembly of God churches teach that a believer will speak in a tongue if they are truly saved. Some charismatic churches teach that a person is not saved unless they speak in a tongue. Some Pentecostal churches teach that it does not really matter if a person professes to be saved because if they really want to be close to God, they need this mysterious second Holy Spirit baptism. Half the church believes in a once-saved, always-saved salvation. The other half believes God's children can't deny their faith and forfeit their salvation. Then there are those churches that teach that if a professing believer commits certain sins, they probably were never saved in the first place. Here's the biblical truth on what it takes to get born again or saved. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, the ability to get saved is a gift from God. People have always been saved or redeemed by having faith in a redeeming God. The initial saving faith was never attached to good works or sacraments or righteous living or holiness. In the Old Testament, people looked forward to a promised future Redeemer God, believing that their Redeemer would somehow forgive them of their sins. During Christ's ministry days, people looked right at their promised Redeemer and put their faith in Him, believing that He would forgive them immediately of their sins. After Christ died... People look back to the cross of Christ and put their faith in what Christ already did for them at Calvary. Getting born again or saved is a result of having faith in what Christ did at Calvary to pay for our sins. Salvation is believing in the gospel of Christ plus nothing else. The Bible does not teach that salvation is believing in Christ plus getting water baptized or speaking in a tongue. Some people confuse Christ's words to believe and be baptized to mean water baptized. In order to get saved, one does not have to promise to give up their wicked lifestyle or even promise to serve Christ. Salvation is a gift. No strings or sacraments or sign gifts attached. If a person adds or attaches a requirement to salvation, like a church sacrament or speaking in a tongue, or even requiring a belief in lordship salvation, they are not believing the free gift. All those teachings about lordship and abiding with Christ and Having a walk of holiness are things that a believer learns after they are born again. A little truth can be dangerous. Here's a little spiritual nugget from Brother Bob. Brethren, there's a big difference between having some knowledge of scriptural truths and having a deep and organized rational knowledge of scriptures. Now granted, we all need to grow up spiritually. We all need the Spirit's help, especially when we get into the deeper things of the Word and and the Spirit helps us put things together when we study the Bible, and some grow up faster than others. However, some refuse to ever grow up, but they make themselves sound all grown up spiritually by using just enough spiritual sparkle to dazzle the naive. Now, a new believer can have knowledge of a little truth and correctly teach that truth. So here is the truth that everyone who is born again knows already. That man hanging on that cross to pay for mankind's sins is God. Not a lesser God, not a smaller God, Christ is God who took on a human form. So there are some basic but important truths that a new believer could teach. However, a believer with partial or incomplete knowledge of scriptures, who tries to teach beyond their basic knowledge and understanding of scriptures, have just enough biblical knowledge to sound wise and righteous to those around them who have very little knowledge of scriptures. And yet, that same wise beyond their knowledge believer, the one who only knows bits of biblical truth, sounds like a spiritual dimwit compared to the teachings of those believers who have a deep and organized rational knowledge of scriptures. Let me give you an example. I'm going to use one of the most abused Bible verses to try to explain my point. Matthew 7, 1, Do not be judged so that you will not be judged. Now a Bible teacher who does not take in the whole counsel of God's word can stand at the pulpit all day long and teach it. the Bible says that God's people should not judge others. And if this is all this Bible teacher used to teach that topic, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge so you'll not be judged, he would seem to be right. After all, he's using the Bible. Right there, plain sight, it says Christians are not supposed to judge. Now, I'm not going to get into it right now, but any serious Bible student knows that Christ did not teach that it is always a sin for God's people to judge others. Christ taught God's people that they should not be involved with hypocritical judging. And yet, because of bad teaching, nearly everyone in the world believes that the Bible says God's people should not judge others. So, using my one example, can you see that anyone can make themselves sound spiritually wise to the undiscerning by cherry-picking bits and pieces of Bible verses while being totally wrong about what they are teaching? Again, this is why it is so important to take in the whole counsel of God's word before coming to a conviction on a biblical truth. Now, I need to share something about truth that all your children of God need to get deep into your brain cells and absolutely accept. It is a biblical fact that God's born-again, blood-bought children can not only deny, i.e. renounce, the saving faith they once believed in. There can also be steady-eddy, dedicated, church-going children of God who are being absolutely deceived or misled by false or untrained Bible teachers, which can even include their pastors in the church, which results in the sheep thinking that they are walking righteously according to the Scriptures when they are not. Brethren, you need to know what's being tossed out to you when you're sitting in the pews of them churches. Please understand that the concept of God's people in the church being spiritually shallow, misinformed, and deceived Is not a strange teaching of Brother Bob. Scriptures are clear over and over and over again, both about believers being deceived and teachers of God's word being deceivers. These next verses are Christ himself speaking. Matthew 24, 5 through 6. As Christ was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Christ answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many, that means a lot, will come in my name, again, Christian name, Bible church name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Notice the many words. Here's a warning from Peter, Second Peter 2, 1 through 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of this, the way of truth will be maligned. Notice the word many again. And notice that the truth can be maligned. That means that what's being taught in churches is an untruth, even though it's passed off as biblical. Here's just one example of what the Apostle Paul said about the condition of the church church. In the end of the age, 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. through For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, the day being the sheep. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. There's that emotional feeding thing again. And will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. Myths. You know what myths are? Myths are fairy tales. Paul, do you mean myths like the mythical idea that the pagan man-made religious days of Easter or Christmas are biblical? Yeah, those are myths, brethren. Now, I'm not going to discuss this hot potato topic right now. However, let me see. The truth is, is not the reason for the season. Just saying. This is not rocket science stuff, brethren. Do a simple Wikipedia search on the origins of Christmas and Easter. I double dare you to do that. If you do, it will be plainly obvious that the church has allowed these unbiblical pagan practices into the church. And this happened because believers love the fun things going on in these holidays more, much more than they love truth. Ezekiel eleven twelve. Thus you will know that I am the Lord, for you have not in my statutes, nor have you executed my ordinances, but have acted according to the ordinances of the nations around you. These pagan holidays are casually accepted by God's people because they are so rooted in these pagan traditions that they never question them. They say, because we celebrate these holidays, we do it differently. For us, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, right. Now, I do not doubt that some of you genuinely believe Jesus is honored by these pagan holidays that the church has adopted. But guess what? God is never pleased when we try to honor him with pagan rituals that we candy coat with spirituality. Brethren, we are required as Christians to line up everything according to the scriptures. We are commanded to worship Jesus in spirit and truth. Christmas and Easter are lies. Unfortunately, most of the church are moving further and further away from God's truths in order to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You charismatic-like, sign-seeking church leaders who believe that it's the Holy Spirit's job to keep God's Word pure should be asking yourselves, where's the Holy Spirit while all this deception and distortion is going on? Sadly, most do not even see the deception. In my opinion, the Holy Spirit is not the one responsible for keeping God's Word pure. The Holy Spirit can only lead us to truth. I believe the Scriptures are clear. It's the believer's job to keep the leaven out of the church. The Lord gave his people the treasures of his word, which are the thoughts, the mind of God, and he expects us to protect that treasure with every ounce of our fiber. God doesn't want us adding to it or taking away from it. Sad thing is, many of God's people have only a superficial knowledge of the treasures of God's word. It's going to be a future topic for a podcast. Brethren, I see nothing in the New Testament church that even comes close to teaching that in the end of the church age, just before the Lord returns, there's going to be this big, gigantic, humongous, supernatural revival of the church. Now, to see the world revive would be wonderful, but the idea is not biblically realistic. The Lord does not revive a heart that does not want to be revived. I truly believe that God's church, for the most part, has become so much like the world, it's hard to tell the two apart And that means that one cannot help the other. And the idea that the Lord is going to rescue, i.e. rapture up his church, so they do not have to suffer persecution during the seven-year tribulation period is just plain silly. For the most part, God's church is up to their eyeballs on the things of the world. Do you honestly believe that the Lord is going to rescue his rebellious children from the persecution of the tribulation times? Let's get back on the topic of truth. Brethren, correct understanding of the definitions of words and the proper use of grammatical rules and the proper placement of words in a sentence are all important when either expressing a truth or when determining a truth. Not just a biblical truth. Hermeneutics, which is a proper interpretation of the scriptures, is not possible without knowing how to use proper grammar and grammar laws and history and a definition and understanding of Greek and Hebrew words. Brethren, if you are not able to spiritually use and or discern those items I just mentioned, you will never ever learn anything but the basic truths of God's Word, unless, of course, you are under the authority of a pretty outstanding Bible teacher. It is not the work of the Holy Spirit to teach God's people hermeneutics. Normally, learning hermeneutics comes through hard work and diligent studying. However, with today's technology, God's people have instant access to to the truths of hermeneutics by using a simple economic Bible software program. Today, God's people can easily access all that hard hermeneutic work that a lot of people spent years and years and years doing with the simple push of a button on an iPhone or an iPad. P.S. There is no Rima word from the Lord that teaches hermeneutics. Just as the Holy Spirit does not teach believers Greek and Hebrew, I wanted to prove a point to some believers who foolishly believed that every righteous work or spiritual word of truth in a believer's life comes through the Holy Spirit. So I gave these various Pentecostal believers that I knew some foreign language tracts, and I asked them to see if the Holy Spirit would translate the tracts into English. Or I said, use that supposed gift of tongue that you have and translate these foreign language tracts into English for me, Okay. I did not get one single track back from them. I did not do this to test God or ridicule these believers. I tried to make a point. The Holy Spirit does not do everything for God's people. The good Lord created us with a brain for a reason. Sometimes you just got to get the books out and do some studying if you want to learn stuff. Something as simple as algebra requires that the solver of a mathematical formula use the correct mathematical process to solve their problem. There are mathematical laws that must be obeyed to solve mathematical problems. Just as there are grammatical laws that must be obeyed in order to have what you say or write make sense. In the English language, words must be purposely placed in a sentence in their grammatically proper sequence, going from left to right, if you want your written or spoken words to make sense. I know, this is deep stuff, isn't it? Words, accurate words put in proper order, has specific meanings for a reason. Properly spoken or written words make truth. So knowing the meanings or definitions of words and then connecting these known definitions in the sequence in which they were written is critical in determining truth. I hope I'm not getting too deep here. If I said the caboose pulled a loaded railroad freight cars down the tracks at 40 miles an hour, what would you think about that sentence? What's wrong with that sentence? Here's the sentence again. The caboose pulled the loaded railroad freight cars down the tracks at 40 miles an hour. Now, nothing is wrong with the sentence grammatically. However, since cabooses do not pull any freight cars down the tracks, let alone loaded ones, what I shared in that sentence is an untruth. So even though you use the words in a sentence to express a thought, the caboose pulled the loaded freight cars down the track. It is essential to use the correct words in their proper order and on a factual basis if you want your sentence to make factual sense. So knowing truth comes with knowing facts, and knowing facts come through knowing truth. A person needs to know that it is a truth that cabooses do not pull freight cars down railroad tracks in order to understand the untruth in the sentence I shared. It is the same with the scriptures. First of all, A believer cannot discern that a sentence or even a Bible teaching is a biblical truth unless they know their scripture. If I told you that the Bible says that Christ was by the Sea of Galilee when he saw his apostles stranded on an ice floe out in the middle of the sea, Christ, knowing that the ice was dangerously thin, carefully walked on the ice, getting as close as he safely could to the apostles. He then threw them a rope and rescued them. Would you believe me? And if no, why not? The only way that you can know for sure that what I just shared with you is untrue is if you know your scriptures. If I were to teach that concept, that the Bible says Christ walked on ice to rescue the apostles, what would you say? Would you say, hey, Brother Bob, can I talk to you? What you taught is not in the Bible. You're adding to scriptures, Brother Bob, and you would be correct. But again, the only reason you could know that what I shared is incorrect is if you knew your script. If you had said, Brother Bob, I did not know that the Bible says that Christ walked on ice and not water to help rescue his apostles, can you show me where that is in the Bible? And if I could not show you in the scriptures that Christ walked on ice, I should be confronted and rebuked as being a Bible deceiver. The only way God's people are going to be able to defend the truths of God's word is by studying it for themselves. Unfortunately, there are a lot of believers out there in Bible land who are naively, i.e. blindly, accepting what their shepherds are teaching them as being biblical or as of the Lord without really verifying the teaching that the pastor is sharing is from the Scriptures. This is why we have the church of the snake handlers and the church of the giggling fools and the church of the second baptism of the Spirit out there today in the world. For the most part, God's people just do not know their Scriptures. Again, Second Peter False prophets arose among the people and they will introduce destructive heresies and the truth will be, be maligned. However, as I've already shared using Matthew 7, 1, do not judge so that you will not be judged. A person can even use the truth of a Bible verse and distort the truths of God's word. And the only way to avoid being led astray from false teachers who are cherry picking Bible verses is to know your scriptures You know, Satan must just smirk every time God's people add to or take away from God's Word, or when the sheep just sit there in the pews, not paying attention to the false teachings being shared. It just makes Satan's day. He just loves to see the Word of God distorted. I shared in the first half of this Truth Podcast a story about a pastor who purposely left out part of a Bible verse in order to avoid teaching a truth in God's Word. That, my Christian friends, is not a mistake. It's the work of the devil. It is biblical deception and distortion at its darkest. And yet only a few believers in that church were offended by what the pastor purposely did. By him doing this, this pastor placed himself above the wisdom and authority of God. And sadly, this is not uncommon in churches today. Churches are loaded with church leaders taking liberties with God's word and adding to and taking away from it all the time. Do you understand how deceitful and wicked it is for God's shepherd to be purposely not teaching a truth of God's word? The Apostle Paul taught that when people add their own truths to the scriptures, no matter how sincere or pious they sound, they are teaching doctrines of demons because they are doing the very thing Satan loves, altering God's word. Satan misled Eve by asking her in a sincere, questioning way. Did God really say that, Eve? God would never kill you, Eve. Here's another important thing about having a little Bible knowledge. As a Bible teacher or Bible learner, you must take in the whole counsel of God's word before you come to a conclusion on a doctrine. There's a warning in the scriptures, let not many of you become teachers for a reason. Listen to me carefully. I'm about to share one of those moments of truth that you're probably not going to accept. What happened on the day of Pentecost was a real event. However, if you've taken the whole counsel of God's word, you know that what happened on the day of Pentecost was intended to be a one-time supernatural event. It was never ever God's intention that his church choose to dwell on that one-time event and make it a church doctrine. Are you aware that this popular teaching that the day of Pentecost event is for the church today is a relatively new concept? It started up in the late 1800s by some sign-seeker churches. Again, do a Wikipedia search, you'll find that out. It was never ever God's plan to establish the miraculous day of Pentecost event as a body of Christ church practice. There was not even a thing called the body of Christ church yet established at the time of Pentecost. Now, I'm not going to get sidetracked right now. However, if you truly are diligent and accurate study of God's word, you should know That the book of Acts, originally titled the book of the Acts of the Apostles, was never intended to be a church doctrinal book. In a future podcast, I'm going to slowly go through the first two chapters of the book of Acts of the Apostles and teach you that on the day of Pentecost, there were only 12 apostles in the upper room and not an entire church of people. The people who were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost are identified in Acts chapter 2, verses 7 and 15. Just saying. Let me get back to the truth topic. Knowing your Greek. When it comes to getting the definition of words right, it is absolutely essential that God's people dig into the Greek and Hebrew languages. Again, we have software programs today that you can put on your smartphone. It makes it really easy. And even when a person has the correct definition of the Greek or Hebrew words in a verse, they need to be able to properly and correctly understand the meaning of a sentence made up of those numerous Greek and Hebrew words which many times have vastly different meanings than the English language we read in. If believers want to discern and determine biblical truth, knowing some Greek and Hebrew will help you. It shocks me to no end to see how easily believers who say they love truth bend over backwards to teach things that just aren't biblical. Please listen to me very carefully. Words are important. However, understanding the meanings of words is what is real important. Understanding the meanings of words in a sentence is what determines truth. The Greek language is very detailed. Knowing your Greek will help you determine if a Greek word is in a past, present, or future tense. Greek words are made up of nouns, verbs, adverbs, and adjectives. Again, you should listen to your 8th grade grammar teacher. Anyways, I'm not going to go into an in-depth Greek and Hebrew language teaching. You'll have to learn some of these things on your own. Again, you don't have to have a Bible scholar knowledge of the Greek and Hebrew. A basic understanding... Of the Greek and Hebrew will go a long way in helping you discover truth. Again, you're going to have to learn it on your own. I'm going to give you an example of the differing meanings of similar Greek words shortly. The truth will make you free. Let me do a little Greek teaching. What I'm about to do is just one simple example of why it is important to have an understanding of the Greek language. Again, P.S. The Holy Spirit does not teach believers the definition of words. We need to look them up in order to learn them. John 4, 23-24, but an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I recently heard a teacher share that the word truth, where it says in this verse, worshipers must worship in spirit and truth, meant sincere, as in sincerely with the implication that even though a believer is not worshipping truthfully, at least he was sincere. Now what this man shared sounded really nice and pious, however, he was factually wrong. Now there is another Greek word that comes from the main Greek word for the word truth that does mean sincere, but it is not the same Greek word that's used in worshippers much worship in spirit and truth. The Greek word for sincere is found in the English word True where the verse reads, when the true worshipers, the English word true here means sincere in the Greek. Now, it might seem like a small thing, but a little leaven goes a long way in distorting truth. Just a little side note, if a believer is worshipping in the spirit, they're already sincerely worshipping. You understand that. However, being sincere is only halfway of what the Lord is looking for. He wants us to be sincere and worship him with truth. That means we can't use lies or religious teachings or made-up stuff to worship him, no matter how sincere we are. There are believers who worship sincerely, but not truthfully. And believers can try to pretend to be worshiping sincerely, but the Lord knows if they truly are. So in closing here, worshiping God sincerely is important. However, worshiping the Lord without using truth is not possible, regardless of your feelings for God. Brethren, it is essential that we learn and then obey God's truths and not just give the Lord lip service. Remember Christ's words. Why do you call me Lord and not do as I say? So, this is your friend in Christ, Brother Bob, signing off. Um, brobob for him at gmail.com. That's B R O B O B number 4him at gmail.com. God bless.